is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Well, hi. Hello. Um, so we're back. And it's been a minute. Uh, or a couple of minutes. Yes. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Um, yeah, but... We, I know we say this every time that we have great excuses, but we do, in fact, have great excuses. Um, this is not a spoiler in any way. Yes. The, the news is out. Um, we are in the process of opening a second location of the bookstore. It's true. We are going to be um, in the Starland District, which is um, a little more of a population center for locals and um, I think a little more accessible for our our friends who actually live in Savannah. Yeah, so um, that will be happening, yeah, fingers crossed, um, middle of December now. It got pushed back a little mm-hmm. bit because anyone who's ever worked with a contractor knows how that goes. Yeah, <laughs> not according to plan. Every time Melissa and I enter into it, it's with this childish naivete that this time will be different. Um, I'm pretty sure the definition of insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results, but, um, yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) But who wants to lose all of their hope? I mean, you have to, yeah. yeah. Anyway. (laughs) And we're also getting ready to leave on a whirlwind Jane Austen tour of England, and Mm -hmm. we're also going to Scotland, and we have two special guests with us this time because, you know, they're being shanghaied into service to go with us on our trip. It's true. So we have my husband, Tim. Hello. And my husband, Bill. Hey there. Yeah, so we thought it would be fun to do a pre-literary tour Mm -hmm. um, of, of, of the podcast, and then once we are all back... From the mm-hmm. UK, maybe we can sit down and do this again and uh, discuss the trip, the trip, and all the shenanigans. Because um, <laughs> yes. there will be shenanigans. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I will say the books that I've been reading have absolutely nothing to do with our destination. Um, I've been reading some things that you know have some things to do with our destination, but that I don't think that was on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> just you know. Have you been yes. reading? Oh, mine have had plenty to do with That's our destination. Just, uh, yeah, actually, yeah. They, they have had stuff to do with And the one I've read has as well, because it's uh, one of the main locations is in London. Well, so there, there you go. go. So, uh, right. Okay, so you guys did your homework, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica and I are just I, you know, I would say <laughs> out in the ether. <laughs> uh, between Melissa and myself, we've we've read quite a bit of... Uh, Jane Austen? Yes. Yeah. 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 A few things. Yes. And um, I Bill's... Reasonably well-versed in British literature. Uh, somewhat. You've read yeah. C.S. Lewis. You've read yeah. Tolkien. Yes. Tim yeah. is definitely versed in Jane Austen because mm-hmm. I read them yeah. out loud to him. It's true. <laughs> and At Bill's deeply into uh, Forrester, mm-hmm. not C.S. Forrester, uh, not E.M. Mm-hmm. No. Forrester. No. Um, so. Different Forrester. Different <laughs> Foresters. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Well, you just. Okay. Okay. I'm. I'm just gonna jump in. Okay. Um. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about um is written by um an author named Jenna Rose Nethercott, and Jenna Rose was actually one of the first authors that we had come to the store. Um, when I started working there, uh, she had a book of poetry out called The Lumberjack's Dove mm-hmm. that she had won an award for, and she was doing a book tour. And I remember it vividly because she had this super cool cut paper thing that when she was reading the poem, she cranked it and it did the like it did the the poem in cut paper like silhouette, and it was super cool. Um, and so I started following her after that, and then she did a Kickstarter for a book that was um, told completely in cootie catchers, which I think is super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thistlefoot is her first novel, and I was really excited to read it because she's just 
she's interesting. Her um, her poetry is beautiful, so I was interested to see what her prose is like, and it was not a disappointment. Um, Thistlefoot is a retelling of the Baba Yaga myth, mm-hmm. um, and so she has two siblings, Isaac and Bellatine, and they are actually twins, and they have been sort of... Um, they had a falling out. They had a weird childhood. Their parents um, had a puppet theater, and they would um, travel around doing puppet There's shows. Nothing creepy about puppets. No, no. I'm, <laughs> don't get me started on puppets. Um, <laughs> but um, so they had a falling out after their parents had passed away, and Bellatine has been working as a carpenter, and Isaac has been a bit of a drifter slash con artist. Um, mm-hmm. He travels the the rails all over the country. Most recently has been in New Orleans um, conning people out of money. Oh, that's what you do in New Orleans. That's true. Um, So they get um, a message that they are um, the recipients of, um, like, someone has died and it left them something. And so they have to arrive at a port to receive their inheritance. And it turns out it's a house. Mm -hmm. And it's the house Thistlefoot, it's the Baba Yaga house that has the chicken legs, so they've received this house, and now they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with it. And in this, it's sort of an alternate reality, because it's not weird for houses to have personalities and move around, like, Mm -hmm. that's something that happens occasionally. But the whole crux of it is, like, she sets the Baba Yaga myth against the history of the pogroms in Russia, which is an Mm -hmm. interesting... um, an interesting way to take the mythology and just her prose is absolutely beautiful. It's a longer book, but it, you just kind of want to savor every bit of it just because the sentences are so beautifully written. But I don't want to say any more than that because there's, there's magic and shenanigans, but I just thought the, the juxtaposition of that mythology against that actual historical event is, is actually pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. It, it's on on my <laughs> on my desk in my to be read <laughs> pile. Um, yes, so Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott, and I would actually really much, like suggest going back and reading her poetry, The Lumberjack Stub, because it's kind of like a narrative mm-hmm. um, poem that's actually really good as well. Yeah. Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, well. I I can talk about something completely different <laughs> like we normally do. Um, so I picked up, actually I was mildly shamed into reading this book because um, we get, so we get a lot of um, advanced readers copies and it has, has been busy of late and I haven't gotten to as many and I got an email saying, hey, you know the three copies of this book we sent you, have you read it and what do you think? And I was like, oh, no, but I'll read it this weekend. And it's it's a 560-page book, so I thought, it'll take me a little longer than a weekend. I'll read some of it this, this weekend. weekend. <laughs> but in reality, um, it's called The Age of Ice, and it's a debut novel. It's by Dipiti Kapoor. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and... It, I read it in a weekend, pretty much. It is a real page-turner. If you think Godfather set in India. Um, and apparently this is the first in a trilogy, which makes me happy because I got to the end and I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not finished with this story. I want to know what happens. But it starts out with the main character, um, AJ, who is um, essentially sold as a slave uh, into the um, into Nepal into the mountains um, from his childhood home um, he was born in extreme poverty and then his fa- and this all happens in the first chapter what, of the what's book what's the time period for this so the time period is now okay um, and so AJ is um, well I would say 20 years okay or so AJ is um, his father uh, so it starts out, AJ has a goat, and, um, and his, <laughs> his sister keeps the goat, and the goat is a source of income for them, and um, it's let loose, accidentally gets loose, and goes into a neighbor's field. The neighbor uh, comes over and demands payment. Of course, they're incredibly poor and can't pay, so they take the father and essentially beat him to death. 
um, in front of his family. And um, the sister is um, 12-ish, 13, and AJ's a boy of about six or seven. And um, so their mother takes the father to the hospital, which completely bankrupts them because they she takes out sort of a payday loan with 100% interest. And ultimately, they end up taking AJ um, as payment, and they sell him as a slave. Um, the family he ends up with, though, uh, it's not that bad. He actually has enough to eat. He uh, loves working with the animals. The house is clean. They teach him to read and write and cook. Um, but ultimately, that gig comes to an end, too, with the death of the father of that family. And um, he ends up working in this restaurant where this sort of magical guy, very wealthy, comes into town. He's a playboy. He has this whole entourage with him. And AJ is a very intuitive servant. And so he ends up kind of really catering to this guy and... When Sonny leaves, he says, look, you know, if you come down to Delhi, here's my card. You can work for me there. And ultimately, that's what AJ ends up doing. And then we become embroiled in this entire family saga of it's a it's art and crime and and modern day India all rolled up into one. And it's it's fascinating and it's extremely quick paced. And I've never flown through 500 pages so quickly just wanting to know what happens next I can't say any more than that because it gives too much away but it really does put um, an interesting face on modern India interesting so The Age of Vice by Deepti D-E-E-P-T-I Kapoor and it comes out it's not out yet it comes out January 3rd right. I've never cared for The Godfather but that actually sounds interesting yeah, yeah you do love all things Indian I do, I do. And it, well and it has it has all things it, well the first night I was reading it I'm like we're ordering Indian food for dinner tonight <laughs> the book made me hungry just being oh, away from oh, yeah. yeah. um, I think a good book always makes you hungry mm-hmm. for the food of that if they're doing it time, right. place, yeah. culture, yeah. whatever. Yeah, Fizzlefoot um, made me want to eat borscht, and I don't even really like the beets. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say C.S. Lewis always makes me hungry for mm. Turkish delight. <laughs> well, just particular home baked, you yeah. know, whatever it is he's no, talking no. about. Well, no maybe noms. that's what I'll take to read on our trip is some Peter Mayle. There you go. Oh, yeah. Because he always makes me hungry. Oh, yeah. Super hungry. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Tim, Tim, what you got? Okay, so I have just read the last of the Newbery and Hobbes series. Mm. Uh, And for anyone that reads these, you'll know that while we love George Mann, it has taken him quite a while to get to this uh, because he is just a prolific writer and does a ton of stuff. So we had book five, and it was a fairly long wait for this final book. It was a pretty long wait between book four and book five, yeah, too. Yeah, Like, was. there was a... There was a well, did you build? Yeah, you yeah, build? yeah. Well, so it, it built enough that I decided... I, mean, I, I read the first few pages. was like, oh, wait, what? So yeah. I actually went back and read all five books plus the book of short stories. Wow. Okay. In preparation to finish off this series. Mm-hmm. And... Talk about page turners. Yeah, this this is the same way. It's very much uh, in the same kind of keeping. It's set in early nineteen, like nineteen oh three, London, Victoria, late, late Victoria. Well, Edwardian. what would be Edwardian, but at this point, Victoria is still on the throne and kept alive by steam powered. Uh, yeah, <laughs> things <laughs> like you know, yeah. it, it's yeah. a very kind of steampunk alternate reality look at London. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun because he's also written some Sherlock Holmes stories, and so there's occasional crossover, and uh, it, it's just—it's a lot of fun. It's an interesting look at kind of that genre and that narrative. And so we we basically have Newbery, who is a very Indiana Jones occult version of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. and some wow. people say his plucky sidekick but it's really more of a partnership with uh Veronica Hobbs, Hobbs. yes Veronica <laughs> Hobbs and, and of course the 
shenanigans and detecting that they get into. Mm-hmm. So I had just gotten the Indiana Jones theme song out of my head <laughs> after going to. Um, so we had an author recently visit, um, Andrew Lawler, and he talked about his book, Under Jerusalem. Which is about archaeology. Yeah. And during the lecture, I got that theme song stuck in my head, and I finally purged it until this minute, and it's back. Well, I had come home with a vengeance. Yes. <laughs> well, I came home from work, and Tim was watching Indiana Jones and Raiders yeah. of the Lost yeah. Ark. Oh, yeah. We're all deep uh, in it right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's fun. There's hints at a cult and things that aren't quite explainable but still somewhat scientific um there's one of the things that i love about steampunk and this time period is just that kind of running into each other of the old and the new of technology and you know how fast is too fast Mm -hmm. for things to change you've got horse drawn carriages and steam powered you know, basically cars on the same street. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up, we we had a pastor at our church who literally went from seeing horse-drawn carriages to, you know, su- mm-hmm. supercomputers in our pockets. And I just think that that whole idea is fascinating. It, it, um, I was recently interviewed um, by a friend and customers of ours, um, Dan, and we talked about my great-grandmother who was born in 1897 and who I spent most of my childhood with and who would have started out, you know, that way and then lived until 1982. Yeah. So, so just yeah. the Amazing breadth of technology that, like, what, you, I mean, you see people walking on the moon, like, this, mm-hmm. like it's just crazy, yeah. mm-hmm. like, the... Yeah. And here we're finally going back to the moon. Yeah. Yes. Well, and so, like, I mean, what's fun, too, about these books is, I mean, because if you, like, they have the Sherlock Holmes feel to them, and Conan Doyle was super into the occult and all kinds of weird things, so it really sort of brings all of that together. It it really does. And, And it's the kind of thing where, I mean, each book is fun and fairly self-contained. They, of course, build on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the short stories are fun, just kind of side looks that give you just a little bit more depth mm-hmm. into the characters. Um, there's still plenty more to be told, so it makes it seem like this is the last one, mm-hmm. but, you know, as with Sherlock Holmes, we'll see. Well, yeah, it's always open. Yeah, that reminds me of... Um, the steampunk universe of uh, his dark materials in that world, and I really need the next book of that, uh, <laughs> Mr. Fullman, if you're out there. <laughs> if you happen to be one of the few people well, listening to this. Um. Yes, um, please, 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 please. I need to know where Lyra goes next. Yeah, um, Yeah. well, Bill, what have you been reading? Um, well, nothing deep, but I, I do enjoy a thriller, and uh, so... Uh, the, and I've always enjoy, enjoyed the uh, sort of espionage uh, genre. Mm-hmm. Um, long been a fan of, of uh, Le Carre, and uh, unfortunately, you know, he's gone now. Uh, we, we lost him a year or two ago. Um, he lived a long and happy life and, and produced a lot of good books. Um, but sort of following in his footsteps is an author uh, by the name of Charles Cummings, and Charles Cummings has been producing uh, some of these uh, I would say more intellectual um, spy thriller, thrillers for some time. His most recent uh, one is called Box Eighty Eight, and Box Eighty Eight is is this uh, group that is actually uh, a transatlantic uh, cooperation above the CIA and above MI Six um, that that uh, works together. Um, and uh, so, basically, uh, what this is, the main character's name is Lachlan Kite, and he is in, in Box 88. And it's a look at his recruitment into this when he was a young kid in the uh, late 80s. He was actually still a teenager, and they needed him for a specific event that was occurring in France. And now he's pulled back in by the funeral of a guy that he was uh, in France with, and so he... And, and he's, he's then threatened by what's going on, what happened then and now, and it goes back and forth. The characters are excellent. They're well fleshed out. Um, the, uh, the trade craft that they go into uh, is, is interesting as well. 
And there is a follow-on to this that will be coming out in the uh, next uh, six months. Mm. So um, I, I highly recommend uh, Charles Cumming for anyone that, that like the Lacare um, <laughs> uh, style of writing. Um, I think he's excellent. I've never read Lacare, but for our Tequila Mockingbird book club, um, Tinker Tailor Soldier mm-hmm. Spy is on the list for the upcoming ones, and I'm excited about it because uh, it's excellent. I, and, yeah. and of course, you know the two uh, series that came out uh, are, were well done. Both of them, both the BBC series mm-hmm. and then the movie that that came later. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was the first spy writer that gave, and he was MI6. Uh, Carey was, was his real name was Bernard Cornwall, but he. Um, had, had worked, so he had seen it from the inside and mm-hmm. was really able to, to uh, discuss some of the tradecraft. And, and, and it is interesting to see it from a British point of view, too. A lot of the, the things that are, are written, you know, about American uh, you know, uh, spies, uh, it, it, and, of course, you compare this to Bond, which was a whole... Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but their view of the CIA and, and some of the mistakes, frankly, that the U.S. has made and... And espionage, and 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 uh, you know even the British services, their their problems. Um, it's it's warts and all, and it's it's interesting. So. Okay, interesting. Very good. Okay, so my next thing is <laughs> no way smart to that. <laughs> um, so I think if anyone has listened to any episodes of this before, um, I my love of all things related to the show Friends has has been well established. Um, so Matthew Perry finally wrote a book about his struggle with addiction, which um, anyone who watched that show, know, mm-hmm. you know, like just looking at it. At one point in the book, he talks about how he, in while he was filming Friends, his weight went from 125 pounds to 228 pounds based on what um, he was ingesting at the time. So... I I think it's pretty well documented that he's had some struggles. But anyway, the book is called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. Um, I will say that he is completely unflinching in talking about his struggle. He doesn't make excuses for himself. He just is completely honest about uh, the things he's gone through. It goes back and forth between like a um, kind of typical chronological sort of autobiography where he starts with his childhood and kind of goes to present day. But in between there, there's these interlude chapters and the interludes take place, sorry, like right before COVID, he had a really major medical scare um, and was actually in a coma for a little while. Um, And it kind of goes from there to the present and, you know, the fact that he had this major medical scare and that didn't even get him sober. And I mean, he's, he had a lot of stuff in his, like he had a, a a weird childhood. His um, mother and father met when they were both very young and they came from very different backgrounds. His father left when he was about three Um, And then his mother went to work for Pierre Trudeau, who was the prime minister of Canada. Um, And so he didn't like he didn't really have a parental figure that was there all the time because his mother was very busy with her her work. And he learned very quickly as a child that the thing that he could do was to be funny. Like, Mm -hmm. so he could diffuse situations by being the person who was funny. And so that's pretty much been his MO his whole life is just, you know, the guy that makes the joke and the guy that diffuses Mm -hmm. weird situations by making the joke. And like with friends, one of the things when they cast all the actors for the different roles on friends, they sat down and talked to them about, pieces of their personalities and actually put pieces of their personalities into their, into their characters. So he is very much Chandler from friends. There's a lot about Chandler that is very close to home for Matthew Perry. Um, I mean, there are points where he was taking 55 Vicodin a day. I, I just don't even know I, how like, I don't even like that is can just stay alive with that. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that he's still alive, uh, given all the, all the scares that he's had and being in and out of 
rehab. He is finally seemingly at a place where he's sober and seems to have kind of gotten over a lot of the... Turned a corner? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I feel like he um, has... He he's the things that caused him to start using drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's finally reckoning with those parts of himself. Um, the thing that I found kind of most sad about it is his huge regret about not having kids because mm-hmm. he really loves children and he has some siblings that are significantly younger than him mm-hmm. because his dad remarried and had kids and like enjoyed being around children. But and he's he's a guy. He can still... He can, but he also... It's, you know, yeah. because of the way his life is and has mm-hmm. been, it's very hard for him to have relationships and to carry imagine. on relationships. Yeah. And that's another part of it where he kind of talks about, like, he dated Julia Roberts for a really long time, and they mm-hmm. had they had this really sweet courtship where they wrote faxes back and forth mm-hmm. to each other. Like, they hadn't met in person, and they would send each other faxes... And they were together for a while, and he ended up dumping her because he was like, she's going to realize that I'm no good, and she's going to leave me. Like, he has this constant fear of being mm-hmm. left, so he leaves people before they'll leave him. And, you know, so that's just kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hard hard to keep a relationship going when you're constantly worried that you're not enough and that some, you know, everyone's going to leave you. So, anyway, I mean, it's, uh, I think, I think it's, going to be most interesting to people who were real fans. We're real fans of friends. But, but he'll always have friends. He'll yes. always have friends. <laughs> um, but but yeah, he I, like I said, he, I think he did a good job about and it's not it's not like woe is me either. It's just honest. It's not Well it's on the bestseller list. It, so I mean people are interested. It's well done and it's like it's got those sort of moments of levity in there because he has a very sarcastic sense of humor and they're just, like you'll be reading it and there's there's lines that will just make you laugh out loud but it's like it's sort of like Jenny Lawson where mm-hmm. you're talking about some really heavy stuff but you're able to make people laugh and you kind of have to have a sense of humor about it to oh, those are to the best um, yeah David so. Sedaris yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. it's that so the heavy stuff with a, a touch of funny yes so. Um, My next one actually goes kind of along with that, yeah, okay. although reverse. It's more mostly funny with a touch of heavy. Yeah. Okay. Because that's, that's more the way I roll. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's, you know, basically about colonialism, so we could say it still applies to our trip. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Why not? Sure. Um, so it's John Scalzi's book from... Uh, 2011 uh, Fuzzy Nation and and it's interesting because this book is basically a retelling of a 1962 novel Little Fuzzy by H.P. or H. Beam Piper Mm -hmm. and so at the beginning he uh, Scalzi has a note where he's saying you know this is not a sequel to Little Fuzzy he's like it's not meant to replace it he's like it is in no way saying that this is better than... He's like, I just love that book and really wanted to write kind of my own version of it. Um, and so definitely Little Fuzzy is now on my kind of next to-read list because I'm very curious about the original mm-hmm. version. Um, but it's basically set in the you know future. We've destroyed our planet. Like we Go do. figure. <laughs> uh, and now we've found other planets, and so it's mostly mining corporations that have kind of the deeds on these planets. Mm-hmm. And we have found two sentient species across all these planets. And so the rule is if you find animals, you can do whatever you want. But if you find a sentient species, all mining and exploitation has to stop. You have to, you know, examine and understand whether they are in fact sentient and then this whole question of what is sentience and how do you determine uh, when does an intelligent animal become a sentient Mm. animal. Um, And so it's told basically through the view of a lawyer who got disbarred and is now a surveyor on one of these planets for this mining corporation and of course comes across these animals that at first he thinks are just very smart and quickly comes to realize that, oh, no, they might be sentient. And okay. So then there's the uh, corporation that, you know, 
wants to do what corporations mm-hmm. might want to do in that situation because he's also happened to find the mother load of all uh, mineral deposits mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. So. There's the complication. Yeah. yeah. All right. And it's told with John Scalzi's usual kind of snarky, sarcastic humor that is very similar, I think, to... My mind just went blank. Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry. <laughs> Matthew, yeah. um, Chandler. To Chan- Yeah, basically. Uh, yes, it, it's very much like you're reading about Chandler being on this. Uh, mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so his characters are always fun and entertaining and then put in odd cir- circumstances. Okay. Yeah. And for... For anyone who hasn't seen the announcements, John Scalzi is going to be in Savannah for the next Savannah Book Festival, President's Day weekend. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're very excited, excited about that. that. Yes. We all like John Scalzi yes. quite a bit. <laughs> so, it is. It's very exciting. Well, I, my next book is completely different. 100%. <laughs> um, it is also a debut novel. Um Again, it was one of our reps who was like, so when are you going to finish reading that book I gave you? And um, Or started. As or it started, <laughs> as it were, yes. Um, and this one is called The God of Endings. It actually comes out in March, um, and it is by Jacqueline Holland. And it is a kind of different take on a vampire story. Which is hard to do because I know. You know, at this point, like... I know. Everybody and their brother has done vampires. (laughs) So this one reminds me a little bit of Addie LaRue. Oh, yeah. Um, This is the one that has been mm -hmm. comped heavily to Addie LaRue, which apparently our our rep was like, no, we don't take that lightly. We're not just comping it to Addie LaRue for, you know, because like at some point, like every book was comped to a gentleman in Moscow or every book was comped to, you know, whatever, you know, crawdads. But but This, this is, yeah. Yeah, it has that same kind of feel and I don't know how to describe it it's it's a very literary vampire tale <clears throat> and it has an otherworldliness to it and the main character is a beautiful young woman um and she's an artist and her name at this part of her life is Colette Lestrange and she has come from France and um opens an elite fine art school for children in upstate New York um but they doesn't want their kids taught by a vampire? Well, then, <laughs> of course, nobody knows she's a vampire sure. named Colette Lestrange. <laughs> yeah. It's flying well, under the radar. It's Lesang, actually. Oh, Lesang. Okay. Lesang. Yeah. Um, but so she she comes. She has this house that has been in the family for generations. It was her grandfather's house. Her grandfather is who made her a vampire initially. Um, she's lived for hundreds of years now. Um, and, uh, we, we meet her where she is in time, but then the story goes back and forth between present day and, yeah. Well, I can see the Addie LaRue comparisons already, like the French thing, the immortal person, you know. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's all there. And the writing is, um, it, it, again, has that quality. Mm -hmm. I don't, um... But she suddenly finds herself, like her life has been going along, she's happy, she's happy with the routine, she has different groups of kids who come in, they're all preschoolers, so they leave by the time they're five or six, Um, she's got a woman who comes in and bakes for her, and she's got a system set up for feeding herself, which doesn't bother anything in the natural order of things, and, and, and really is going along quite contently, and suddenly she becomes just overwhelmingly hungry and she can't understand why there's this change going on with her and then she starts waking up at night and finding herself in places that she didn't expect to find herself or finding and so there's a really interesting subconscious level of what are we capable of that we don't realize that we're capable of and how can we be this one thing and then commit these atrocities which is interesting um and so she starts delving into her memories of her past and the different lives she's led and there's one common sort of um god or almost a folklore character in it that's the god of endings that comes in and every time 
she's in a place in life where she's comfortable, the god of endings comes and blows it all up, mm-hmm. and she has to start all over again. And so there's a lot of love and loss and, and um, bittersweetness in all of her life. Um, there's an interesting art, artist component, too, because she goes into great detail um, because she's an artist of and because she's immortal she can work with all of the real volatile pigments and things that you know mere mortals can't work with and how she loves she, and then and the, there's a whole chapter that goes into her mixing her colors and finding all of the right things um so it's it's just a beautifully written book i can't say too much more about it um without giving something key away there are parts in it that are deeply disturbing, um, especially in that sort of subconscious what we're capable of when we're, you know, just the fear of you go to sleep at night and think your world is one way and you wake up in the morning and realize that your world is something completely different and you're capable of some pretty evil things. Um, but it resolves nicely in the end and it's uh, again it's a very literary vampire tale I would say um and it's fascinating you end up all over the world in the book and um because you know you're a vampire and part of it is also about coming making peace with who you are and realizing um that sometimes you do need your family around you people who have shared experiences even if you've fought against that mm. for most of your life. So I, I would highly recommend it when it comes out, uh, The God of Endings by Jacqueline Hall. No. I want to kind of, uh, I'm going to go briefly into this one because I don't want to give a lot of it away um, because it was just, like I read this book in one sitting um, and I just thought it was beautiful. Um, it's definitely in the top five books that I've read this year. Um, it's Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng, and mm-hmm. Celeste Ng is the author of Little Fires Everywhere and Everything I Never Told You. Um, so this new book, um, it starts with a young boy named Bird, and Bird lives with his dad, Ethan, who is a, he works for a university library. Um, and when we first are introduced to Bird, um, his mother has left, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really understand why, um, and they don't talk about her. They've moved out of the house that they had lived in as a family, and they're now, he and his dad are living in kind of a renovated dorm room on the university campus, um, and it's in a very um, different but not so different reality in in the U.S. Um, slightly in the future, um, there has been at one point a real economic downturn, um, and while that happened, um, I think. A lot of people realized that China wasn't suffering in the same way that the U.S. was suffering. And so there's now, even more than there is today, anti-Asian sentiment in in the U.S. Because obviously China must have done something and, uh, and the Asian Americans um, are working for China and they're trying to bring down the U.S. So they have passed a thing called PACT in the U.S., which is protecting American culture, and I think it's thought. Um, but it basically enables the government to control the Internet and what you can search for on the Internet. It allows them to take out of libraries books that they find questionable. So, like, the public library has very little on the shelf at this point. Anything deemed questionable that might be against American thought. Mm. Um, or American lack of thought. Or, yeah, case. either way. Yeah. Um, university libraries have more things on their shelf, but you can't just go into the stacks to get books. You have to request books and give a reason for what you're looking at. Um it also part of pact is that it enables the government to take children away from their families and rehome them to other families if they feel like they are being taught things that are incorrect by their parents or anything that is offensive to to pact um so bird has a friend named Sadie Sadie's 
was taken away from her parents and is trying to find her parents, but she's been rehomed and has been moved around to several different homes because she's never quite settled. Um, so as it's going along, you find out that Bird's mother um, was a poet and she wrote a poem that is being used by protesters against PACT as, like, on signs. And so she is kind of a driving force behind the anti-PACT movement. Um, and there's a lot more to it than that. So you get, it's sort of a, um, it's told um, with two different sort of points of view. You have Bird's point of view, and then in the middle you get Margaret, his mother's story and her point of view. Um, it's a really interesting book in that it's both, um, incredibly depressing and, um, it really is just, it just focuses on kind of the, um, like how people are okay with other people's rights being stripped away as long as it's not their rights and people are very... You know, people will look the other way and and complacent. Yeah, complacency. Um, and, but it also, at the same time, is incredibly hopeful. Um, and it focuses a lot on the power of storytelling and oral tradition, um, especially because other ways of finding information in this society are so locked down that that's really. Um, what becomes more powerful. And it's just a beautifully written book. Um, it's completely different from her other two books, mm -hmm. but um, I think her writing has kind of gone to another level here. Like she, the, the way she crafts a story is incredibly interesting. Um, it's just, yeah, I highly recommend it. Very good. Yeah. Well, I just have one more quick one okay. that I'm actually in the midst of reading and hope to finish tonight <laughs> because I really like it. Um, uh, the Forest Brims Over, um, and this is translated from the Japanese, and again, the name is going to be difficult for me to pronounce. <laughs> um, it's M-A-R-U-A-Y-A-S-E. Um, Maru. I, Maru for the first name. <laughs> Maru. But, uh, I don't know. Ayasi? Ayasi? Um, anyway, and translated by Hayden Trow. And it comes out July 25th. If you really enjoyed The Memory Police, if you like Murakami, this is something else for you to read. It's, a, um, it's one of those things, and I, I was talking about this recently, it's kind of like reading a dream um, because... There's so much that's normal in it. The main character, one of the main characters, is a writer, and he writes very literary books, and mm -hmm. his agent has come over to his house to see him, and he famously writes about his wife. Um, and really, all his books are based on his interactions with her and her, and she's almost as famous as he is, or is as famous as he is. Um, and so when the when his editor comes over, he notices that she's just sort of lying on the floor eating these seeds, and he thinks they're nuts. And he's like, oh, gosh, my stomach gets upset so easily. If I just sat there and ate all these nuts, you know, I would be... Um, I would be sick because they're so oily. And then suddenly her husband, who hasn't really been paying much attention to her, realizes that there are seeds that he was going to plant in their garden. And she goes upstairs and he goes upstairs. And it's all kind of weird, but he comes back down, the editor leaves. Um, and then the next time he has an interaction with the editor, he asks him to go buy sort of the Japanese equivalent of the garden shop or Home Depot and buy a big terrarium and a bunch of soil and a watering can and some fertilizer and these other things and so he does it for his famous client and he brings them over and um, when he gets there he hears them in the shower and he thinks oh gosh I've come in at an awkward intimate <laughs> moment you know there and um, the, the writer is like no 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 everything is fine and his wife has sprouted out of all of her pores and everything and so he essentially plants her in the soil. <laughs> and as the book progresses, um, 
she turns into a forest. Um, and it, but it, but it also goes into mundane bits of everyday life about, um, you know, the professor's interaction with this, um, or the writer's interaction. He also teaches a, a creative writing class with another woman and it goes into the home life of the editor. And so there are all these mundane everyday, like how does he get to work and what do they eat and their coffee and tea and lunch dates and mixed in with this, with his wife becoming a, yes, which he's completely unconcerned about. Well, why would you be? (laughs) Let's her sort of slip away into this different realm of being Um, and ultimately, you know, the editor continues to come over and the writer is so absolved in his work. He's like, oh, could you take the watering can and go up and, you know, water her essentially. (laughs) And initially when he goes up, he kind of can see her, but ultimately as the whole room is taken over by this growth and it starts spilling outside, he just sort of hears her voice. Hmm. Um, it's, um... It's actually based on a true story, um, um, sort of. <laughs> like, so, I, so it, it's it's a metaphor. It's <laughs> sure, right, um, sure. So, in Japan, in, in twenty eighteen, there was a model, um, a photographer, who who finally owned up to abusing and grooming um, one of his subjects for sixteen years, and. Um, and grooming her, and and this is sort of a different way of looking at the mm-hmm. exploitation of his wife, her being his subject matter, mm-hmm. the novelist hmm. taking women and using them as merely um, a canvas for him to write his great works on and, and thinking of them as nothing other than objects that are just there for his artistic convenience, if you will. Hmm. So... Interesting. It's interesting. I I really enjoy these books. They're hard to describe. And this one, if I had been just left my druthers, I would have just finished it in a day because it 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 reads so easily. Um, but it is a matter of having to like magical realism. Yeah. If, if you're not into magical realism, then this is not the book for you. Well, I mean, so <laughs> yeah. there, there's the Benjamin Percy series, like the Ninth Medal, and that mm-hmm. like. I mean, they're not really a series. They're like the comic, the comic, yeah, the comic cycle. I think is what he calls them. Um, But in one of them, there's like a fungus Mm -hmm. that like overtakes people, and it's sort of like the same thing. Like they grow, like it grows out, and like the whole room becomes this thing. And the but the person is no longer really sentient at that point. It's kind of overtaken them. Uh, So she's still like that the editor will go in and think she's really gone, but then he'll feel a breeze or hear laughter or so she is, yeah. she is still there in Holding a way on to her identity. Uh, yeah. But, but also reaching out into a more unknowable, untouchable thing yeah. that is the only way she can escape from this yeah. particular life that, that she's living mm-hmm. in a way. Um, it, it's interesting, but it is for people who have that, um, I don't know if it's a belief in magic, I wouldn't say that, but an idea that there are sort of unexplainable things that happen in our world. Yeah, I was going to say, the only like, Japanese kind of magical realism books, like I haven't read any Murakami, or, but the um, Tales from the Cafe or like mm-hmm. Before the Coffee Gets Cold, so, like those have that sort of element... Mysticism of mysticism, it, and it has a little like the reason I was drawn to those is because it has like sort of the time travel mm. element to it that you can go back to a certain thing while you have a cup of coffee, but it's only for that length of time, and you can only go to a but specific. But it still time. has the same sort of like this family. It has to be passed down through the women. It yeah, has yeah. to be. Um, this has that same sort of. There's just around like if you just turn your head the right way, mm-hmm. you know you enter potentially into something different. And I've, I've always explained it. Like if you had told me, like if someone finally 
pulled up a leaf and showed me a fairy, I would be like, oh, I knew they were there. You know? I mean, yeah. So, but it does have that whole, like, you were saying, like, the kind of cultural element where they're, like, just kind of everyday things about Japanese culture that are just so different from our culture. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just in the way that the houses are described, the kind of, I don't know, very descriptive, but terseness of the language. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could be just from the translation. Yeah. But also the interesting part, like there's a character in the book um, and her name, um, her parents made up more or less. And it's two characters, one of a lake and one of like endless sunset. And, and... So there are just things about the language and about the way um, culturally that are um, so different. I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I say the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it also makes you hungry because there's a lot of talk of, you know, like grated radishes and this special sauce that you dip your noodles in and you're, you There's know. a certain, like, coziness to the cultural elements Mm-hmm. as well that I just think it's kind of it's interesting even the things that um to us would seem and and in the book you like there's talk of these love motels and but they make them sound just not as sleazy and disgusting as what we would think of in this country is that you yeah. think of them more as kitschy well that's and a, in clean the, and, um a tale for the time being but yeah. the um the narrator of the one part of that story is working at this sort of weird, kitschy, um, kind of specific kink sort of cafe in Japan. And it's like, if that was here, that would be so, (laughs) so untoward. But there it's just kind of... Like a thing. A thing, yeah. Well, there's there's a certain fetish that comes out in this book as well. And... um, in this, it sounds like kind of cute and interesting and funny. Yeah. On that, On that note, happy note, yes. <laughs> um, the forest brims over. Yeah. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. It's got a, a really interesting cover. Yeah. Um, it's very foresty. Well, it looks like a Beatles cover. It does, it does actually look like a Beatles yeah. cover. Um, well, when when next we we talk to you, we'll be fresh back from. Let's um, knock on wood. Well, yes. maybe maybe fresh. Maybe maybe, maybe a little stale. <laughs> yeah, a little jet lagged. Um, back from the UK, and we'll talk about all of our adventures adventures there. Um, but yeah, until then, happy reading. Yes, and happy yes. Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> no. It's all, yes. It's coming. It, whether you want it to Turkey or not. Turkey is coming. <laughs> all right. All right. Bye.